Welcome back in everyone to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a wonderful guest in store for you today. Joining us is the producer Robert A.K. Gagno, whose show Living Radio is being performed the first Monday of every month starting on September 4th at 7 p.m. at the Crane Theater. Tickets and more information are available at frigid.nyc. And this is just another great show you can catch at the wonderful Crane Theater. So let's go ahead and welcome our wonderful guest, Robert. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you, not just for the show, but from fellow theater podcaster to fellow theater (laughs) podcaster. You've got a great show, Go See a Show podcast, which I'm sure I'll I'll bring up again later on. But of course, we are here today to talk about your show, Living Radio, which is fantastic. Now, I haven't had the chance to see it yet in person, but in just reading about it, I was like, this is my kind of thing. This is my cup of tea. The, you know, as an NPR junkie, I was like, yes, all of this <laughs> right there. So can we start by having you tell us a little bit about what Living Radio is or or what you do with it? Absolutely. So Living Radio is a series of brand new radio plays written from the news of the day. And we take, a, take the news, but then twist it slightly. The whole idea is to give a, a bit of a spin on things and reimagine what the world could be like if one or two things were just a little bit different. And what happens when we task four or five playwrights every month with doing this is we end up with plays that are not only, you know, kind of wacky and and, and sometimes just off the wall, but also inspirational and in, in many ways educational. Because when you take the news and take the reality of a situation and say like, well, wait, what if you just change this this one little thing, what if we did it differently? And then have a brilliant independent theater playwright start to travel down that road of what the world could look like. They come up with basically modern current events science fiction that in the past has actually become science fact. We've we've predicted the future multiple times in this thing, which is really cool. So it's just, a, it's a fun gym in many ways for independent artists. We get playwrights, actors and directors sometimes trying one of those roles for the first time and because it's a very low stakes fun let's throw things at the wall and see what happens sort of project and we all get together we see what everybody else made we invite an audience in we record it live at the crane and then we release it as podcasts that is so cool oh i love that I love that. And like I said, that as an NPR junkie, that just sounds like my jam right there. So where did you come up with the idea to, to start the show or to do the show? I had a feeling you would ask that question. So I was trying to think of it and I honestly can't remember. I, I will be self-important enough to say, I do believe that I came up with it, but it was also the initial iteration of it was part of the theater company that I co-ran with two of my fellow NYU alum, Casey Cleverly and Ash Marinaccio. Back in 2010, our theater company was looking to make a new project and I'm pretty sure it was me. I can't fully take credit, but I, I think I said like, why don't we do radio plays? And this idea of, I don't know if it was because I had recently seen Inglorious Bastards or something, but this idea of revisionist events really grabbed me. So we produced, I think, five or six plays that initial night. And 
we did it actually in another frigid space in the Red Room, which is sadly now defunct. But the first time this ever took place was in 2010 on the third floor of 85 East 4th Street. And it was successful. We we had a lot of fun. We, we recorded a couple of them later and put them out. Uh, so that those are still available on the Co-op Theater East website, which is our old company. Uh, so if you go to Coop Theater with an R-E-E-A-S-T, so Coop Theater East, at .org, you'll find the old living radio plays. They're all still there to listen to. And uh, we had so much fun with it that it was like, oh, why don't we try this again? And eventually we turned it into a 24-hour playwriting festival, which was really fun because you want to get current events. Like we literally gave some, gave the groups like a, a newspaper from a Friday. And then on Saturday night, we were recording them. So that was fun, but super intense. So we've pulled it back just a little bit. Now in our, our monthly version at the crane, I just sent out the conditions to the playwrights today, which is Wednesday, August 30th, as we're recording, and they will write plays by Saturday morning, hopefully by Friday night, so I have a little bit more time to read them, and on Monday night, we'll perform them. So it is very much like going to be current events. That's the whole idea. So long-winded answer. I thought of it as just something else for my theater company to do, and it's turned into a project that's very near and dear to my heart. So even though Co-op Theater East is now defunct, sadly, we, well, I shouldn't say sadly, it came to the end of its natural life, and as indie theater companies often do. And we were able to have a little celebration to send it off, but living radio wouldn't leave my brain. Plus people who've done it kept asking me, are you going to do it again? So thankfully Eras at Frigid was kind enough to welcome us back and we're going to be in the crane for at least the next four months and we'll see what happens after that. Yeah. Now I want to ask you, you've kind of alluded to this, but what has it been like developing each show? You've kind of given us an insight into it, but I mean, obviously the news changes every week and there's a lot of hot button issues that come up. What is it like developing these shows every month? I'm going to kind of defer to our playwrights and, and uh, I wish I had a few of them here to give a bit more background, but having done it once myself, I've only written one since the very first, I did one in the very first edition. I'm just not much of a writer. I'm primarily a director and a voice person, but uh, I wrote one when we did our pandemic editions. And what I found was that the real trick for me was taking news that is very heavy and and, and very serious. These are very serious issues that we're getting. Like you, you very rarely open up the newspaper and find Everything is about like the cute koala that escaped from the zoo or isn't this wonderful? This puppy and kitten are now friends. Like you don't find a ton of that and you want to treat this material with respect. At the same time, we're doing a series of five bite-sized radio plays written in a very short amount of time for a Monday night audience that is hopefully patronizing the bar and just wants to chill. So you don't want to get super heavy. You kind of have to do both things at the same time. Part of the direction that I've given to our playwrights is try to keep it light, have fun with it. Don't shy away from difficult topics. But I think there's a, there's a Shaw quote, or at least it's attributed to Shaw about if you're going to, if you're going to tell people the truth, you better make them laugh while you do it. And, and try to keep that in mind. So again, I'm constitutionally incapable of brevity. I'm so sorry, but hopefully I'm at least filling the air for you. The, the, the answer is I have a 
bunch of brilliant playwrights who have agreed to work on this project, who like to jump in and, and make something on the fly and like see what happens. And I trust them to come up with something that's going to not only touch on the news and investigate the news and in, imagine a better world for us, but at the same time, entertain us. Like it's got to have that Brechtian sort of, it, it, it's, yeah, it's true. It's real. It's maybe it's harsh. But the whole, the, even even Brecht, our, our Lerstika loving old German friend, he said that the, above all, the theater has to entertain. So I've been very lucky that my playwrights have all written plays that even when they end on a, a very sentimental note or a very heartbreaking note or really a you know stick the knife in you, it always feels good. <laughs> it always feels fun to listen to, even when we get to the heavier stuff. I hope that explains a little bit of your was that even your question andrew not, at this point, not, i don't even know this is what happens i just talk <laughs> i just make stuff up and no, uh, but yeah that's the idea i got really talented people doing the project i love that though i i love no that that answered my question and i i love that i i love the creativity <laughs> behind it now we're kind of laughing having a good time and we've mentioned about the science fiction element or the humorous element behind all this is there a message or a thought you're hoping that audiences take away from each show? Heck yes. Um, so I do try to encourage my the, the playwrights that are working on this. I do try to encourage them to whenever possible. I mean, sometimes we get wacky and way out there and there's anthropomorphic animals or, you know, like we're, we're putting people, media figures on the stage and imagining insane things that they might say. So yeah, sometimes it gets silly and wacky, but I, I do try to encourage folks whenever possible to make it believable, even when it gets a little strange, try to say like, well, what if it's something that actually could happen? I alluded earlier to the like earlier plays and like how we've predicted the future. We had a play by playwright Jack McCarthy in our first edition that imagined what if gay marriage were legal? And of course that was before gay marriage was legal. And it was this beautiful play about a person trying to navigate their honeymoon or not their honeymoon, their bachelorette party and feelings about like how, what, where, where their like feelings actually were. And it was gorgeous, but it was like, at the same time, it's like, yes, you reimagined the news. Gay marriage was in the news. It wasn't legal. Well, what if it were legal? Basically you just got this really wonderful, heartfelt relationship drama. So I think the message there was everyone deserves this right. Why why are we why is this even a question, right? So that's the kind of thing that I hope we get in a lot of these plays if we changed a small thing about our current reality, what do we learn? What how will this how will society change? How will the news of the day change? How will we how we interact with each other change? That is, I think, the magic when this really when when we get to that stuff, that's when Living Radio is really super successful. It's also incredibly successful when it's just something bonkers and really funny to watch, to imagine. There's there's been so many of these things that it's almost really it's hard for me to pick out one from I should have like reviewed some of our past episodes, but it's been three years since we've done the show. You know, sometimes you'll just you'll just laugh the whole time and think like how ridiculous that we live in the world that we live in this 
the nature of being a, a human in this modern day and age is just crazy. And so we sometimes you need to embrace that and laugh at it. I always try to, I, I always mention Vonnegut in our emails when I, when I introduce people to the project and say, Hey, here's how you're going to write a piece or how to think about your piece. I, I always think of that, that whole idea of like the laughing prophet of doom. You gotta, it's gotta be, even when it's wild and off the wall, it's gotta be fun. And hopefully we'll, even when it is in that realm of unreality, it is still saying a little something about, Hey, here's how to navigate and be a good person in this absolutely nonsensical world that is the modern day United States. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. Well, my final question for this first part is who do you hope have access to living radio? I'm really grateful that given the nature of the project, I, not only do I hope everyone, everyone, literally anyone who can hear the sound of our voices and in any way understands the English language, which is the predominant language used in the project, everyone hopefully will, and everyone can hear it. We do these shows live at The Crane. The Crane offers streaming, which is great. So you can always, if you can't make the live show, but you want to see what we do, go to frigid.nyc, book a streaming ticket. Boom, you're watching it from the comfort of your living room. And also, if you can't make the date, you're just not there live. Lucky you, within a couple of days after the performance, we have taken the recordings of it. We've edited them down into nice podcasts that you can catch on the internet, much like you hear Stage Whisper. And yeah, listen to it at your leisure and enjoy it with your your cats at home as you make dinner or whatever you need to do. But we we thankfully make it available to everyone because I really love this We'd, we'd always done that, but it's taken on even more meaning, I think, since we had the scare around the globe that we had a few years ago, when we realized, like, it, we learned that we can take theater out of the theater. I am a huge proponent of the live. I believe in theater primarily because of the necessity of a live audience. And it's why living radio is not done as podcasts. It's just done as a live presentation of a recording because the audience to me is, is so integral and creates something absolutely magical that cannot be done in any other way. It's why I make theater. But I love that we figured out like we can do, we can do even more now and more people are doing even more and making it accessible outside of the room. So come and join us in the room. But if you can't make it that particular first Monday of the month, don't worry, you're not going to miss out. want to switch things up and give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And I want to start by asking you, what or who inspires you? You know, what shows or composers or playwrights inspire you or are just some of your favorites? Oh, it's so much easier to talk about the project, Andrew. What? Oh, goodness. Okay. So now I can talk about me. All right. Well, who inspires me? I, we just had a quick interruption by my daughter, one of the two, and they are obviously a huge inspiration for for making things and and showing that as an adult theater artist, I can still be out in the world making stuff. So I do take a lot of inspiration from from that. Theatrically, I'm hope I'm not being too 
or like sounding, sounding like I'm pandering in any way, but I actually take a lot of inspiration from the people that I work with all the time, the people that I run into and or that I see with my podcast, Go See a Show, which is available at goseeashowpodcast.com. So I, I genuinely do, like I, I started Go See a Show for very selfish reasons. Really, I just wanted to get into voiceover. I needed some way to show that I could do it. Uh, okay, I'll make a podcast. And what do I know? What can I podcast about? Well, I make independent theater. I'll, I know people who make independent theater. I've got subjects. I'll just go start talking to them about independent theater. And it quickly turned into, a, oh, well, this is a really cool way to go see a lot of shows. They're giving me tickets. This is awesome. And then at one point, playwright Mac Rogers uh, was being interviewed on the podcast. And I, I really dig his work. And he said, I don't know if it was on the podcast or afterwards, he, he essentially said something to the effect of like, yeah, you're, you're kind of like chronicling indie theater, you're making an archive. And I realized that that meant, oh, I was like, wow, this is a community service. But it from, so it went from, this is very selfish for me to, oh, it's a community service to, oh my gosh, I'm getting to speak to people for a time. It was just about every week, once a week just talk to people about this thing that I love and that I intend to make my, you know, life revolve my uh, work slash creative life around. It, it's, it's just made me better. I think it's made me more attuned to what I want to make and what I'm interested in. And I'm not saying I'm by any means a, a master of the art form, but it's certainly made me a better artist to do so. So I've taken a ton of inspiration really from the people who are making indie theater, the people who find a way to make a project happen because they need to make it happen. I have no, I have no problems with commercial theater. I'm, I'm not quite a Broadway person. Like I just don't know enough about it, but, and, and I would never begrudge somebody, you know, making a ton of money by making theater. But one of the things that I love about independent theater is that we just are going to make it no matter what it doesn't, it doesn't matter if there's no pay, it doesn't matter that, you know, sometimes the space is maybe a little weird, although thankfully I'm at the crane, which is awesome. I love the working at the crane, but sometimes you're working in spaces that you're creating at a whole cloth. This is even a theatrical space. Okay, let's turn it into one. And you have all of these obstacles in the way, all of these difficult problems to solve. And as independent theater artists, we are determined to solve them and make the thing because we want to make the thing. We want to see the thing exist in the world. So when I see people getting out of school and you know putting up a show because they're like, well, I'm sick of auditioning. I'm, I want to make something. I'm going to go make it. Or people doing exactly what I'm doing, which is I made this progress, this project with my theater company. My theater company is no longer in existence, but I like the project. I guess I'm going to send some emails and talk to people and then figure it out. I'm going to make it happen. So again, I can't, I can't be short-winded, Andrew. I'm so sorry. Sorry to your listeners, but it's, it's so, I take so much inspiration from people who say, I want to see this thing in the world. Therefore I shall figure out how to put that thing into the world. I take a lot of inspiration from that as a theater artist. I love that answer though. That is a wonderful answer. Now, I do want to ask, I know you've been busy putting Living Radio together, but have you seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? Depending on when this goes up, 
on your the internet, you might have the chance to see a show that it is a little self-involved because I did do the sound design on it, but there's a group of students. I alluded to this in my previous answer. Some students that I had worked with at the Stella Adler Studio of Acting had done a production of Stephen Edley Gurgis's the, the Motherfucker with the Hat. Mm-hmm. And it was a great production and they wanted to make something out of school and they said, let's put it up. So they are currently running at the Chain Theater through September 2nd. It, it's it's a great revival of that show if you've never seen it, but we're always intrigued by the title, which was which was this guy before I worked with it. It's a brilliant show. It, it's, it's heartbreaking, but also really riotously funny at the same time. And I think the, the uh, Lou Morales is really cool. And a show that I, I don't know if it'll have a future life, but the previous show that I covered for my podcast actually is one that I wish every theater maker town had. So if you missed it, I'm sorry, call them and, and hope that they revive it. It was called The Nobodies Who Were Everybody, which was pre- presented by a company called Theater and Asylum. They did it at the Jalopy Theater in Brooklyn. And it was a tale about artists working with the Works Progress Administration as part of the Federal Theater Project in the 30s. And it also, if, if that's obvious relationship between artists needing support for, for their work, if, if the obvious correlation to modern day isn't enough, they take it a step further, which is really cool and make that uh, that connection very clear. It was a, it was a really smart product, uh, production, really well presented, and they developed it in an ensemble, which is super cool. I love seeing stuff like that. But even more so than great production values and great acting and awesome design, something that I love in the theater is just really strong presentation of ideas. And there was such meaty ideas in that play. So sadly that you've missed it, but hopefully it'll come back and look look up what Theater and Asylum is up to. They're a very cool company. That sounds fantastic. But let me ask you, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? I mentioned this earlier and I'll keep this one a little bit shorter, hopefully. The audience, it's live. I always tell people, I two two really quick examples that I share all the time. So friends of mine just skip ahead like three minutes because I say these stories all the time. I always like to tell people like, I love that theater can go wrong at any moment. A friend of mine is a really brilliant artist and also a very generous person who's who buys tickets to just about everything that he, well, all the things that he's interested in. And he'll, he always gets two and he invites friends like, hey, come see this thing with me. And he invited me to a show at Harvey, went to see... I want to say it was Much Ado. It was definitely Shakespeare. I can't remember. But he has two front row seats. And this is his first time inviting me to come and be his his theater partner for the night. And we're, hang- we're walking down stage. I'm right up front and sitting in my seat. And he's like, great seats, right? I was like, yeah, absolutely. You, I could just step on stage at any moment. And he looks at me like, did I make a mistake? Taking, like, are you just going to, are you, what do you, I'm like, no, 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 it's not. It's not that I'm going to do that. <laughs> I would never do that. I would never ruin somebody else's performance. That's awful. But I love that there's that opportunity, that there's this inherent contract constantly being negotiated between an audience and the performer. And uh, it's so interesting to me. I love that feeling that it could it could break. It could all just stop because something goes wrong. My other the, uh, part and parcel of that is I love when it does go wrong because I love seeing people 
can't buy. I'm not going to name the company. I'd love to give them a shout out, but I don't want them to think I'm like putting them on blast or something going wrong. But they did a show at the Gene Frankel that I was at and it was so cool. It was a great show, but it was so cool in the last scene. It was this farce kind of thing where like people coming in this door all the time and somebody goes to, to open the door, the door handle comes off. And so they cannot get through that door. It is the one door on the set to get on. And it's just gone. You can't use the door anymore. So immediately I'm in the house and I'm just like, this is the most intense thing I have seen in forever. What's going to happen? And what made it even more magical was everybody else found another way. Somebody went around the set. Somebody went, somebody there would like did a, an like exited through the, I think it's, yeah, they went through the basement and came back up and they came in the back of the house. Like everybody just found another way to get on stage. And the whole time I'm just losing it. Like, this is awesome. That, that is theater. That's why it's live. That's why you need to be in the room with us. That, that stuff. I love that stuff. So yeah, that's, that's my favorite part of performing live and being in the theater. I love that. Oh, I wish I could have been there because I would have loved to see the actor <laughs> just break the handle and then be like, I will turn up stage now. Now you can't see me, you know? <laughs> and you set me up once again for our next question, which is my favorite question to ask guests. And that is, what is your favorite theater memory? Oh, boy. I'm going to go to the one that I always go to whenever I've like had, you know, applications for like, director's labs and, and that sort of stuff. I always tell this story and it's, it, it just talks to me a little bit about like, again, that engagement of the audience and also ideas. And I didn't fully answer your question earlier when you say, who inspires you? I said like my friends and the people I collaborate with and the people I see making new work, which is all very true. But one of my favorite, like if I gave a more traditional answer to that question, I love Samuel Beckett. He's one of my absolute favorite playwrights, I think. Waiting for Godot is, is the, the crowning achievement of the English language. Yes, I said it. Don't, don't at me, Shakespeare people. So I saw this insanely brilliant production of Waiting for Godot in 2006 that was presented by the Classical Theater of Harlem, where they set the tree as just the top of the tree out of a pool of water. And so there was, a, there was also the top of a house. So obviously it is in, in that moment, again, talk about talking about the news, it was, okay, this is New Orleans. This is this is flood ravaged New Orleans post-Katrina. And there's Didi and Gogo. And I get choked up even just talking about this. So sorry. There's that first time when the exchange of, let's go, we can't, why not? We're waiting for Godot. Ah. And I want to say, I, I think they had Estragon do it. He took out a piece of chalk and wrote across the top of the, the top of the house, Godot, exclamation point. So you're just like, holy, oh my God, Godot is help. And if you know this play, Godot ain't coming. And this is like, this is seven months after this thing happened. And it just, I'm again, I'm, I think it gets me just thinking about it because it was so affecting. And in that moment, I was like, wow, that's brilliant. And then they really socked it to me at the end of act one. When the when the boy arrives, if again this isn't a spoiler, if you don't know Godot, you, you, I can't spoil the play for you. It's impossible. But at the end of Act One, this boy arrives, and he's he's the agent of Godot essentially, and he says hey, he's not coming today, but he'll surely come tomorrow. And the, when the boy first appeared, he was right behind me. The boy was in the audience. Okay, so not only is 
Godot help and he's not coming, I'm Godot. I'm not coming. I haven't showed up because because I'm Godot. The boy is my agent. He's with me. I'm help and I'm not coming. I always tell people this story because again, like it, it's literally, I'm, I'm getting choked up just talking about it on a podcast, but it's the only time that theater's ever made, like physically made me do something. I saw that play on a Sunday afternoon at a matinee in Harlem, got on a train back to Albany where I was working in politics and state politics. And I told my bosses the next day, like I'm taking a week after campaign season and, and I'm going to, to New Orleans because I had to be help, right? I had to do something. It was the only time theaters physically made me do something. And I just thought that was so powerful. That So like, it's, again, I tell this story. If anyone knows me, they, they've heard this, me tell this story thousands upon thousands of times. But yeah, that classical theater of Harlem production of Waiting for Godot is like the most powerful theater memory I've ever had. And I think it was a big push to get me out of politics and into making theater as, as more of a career path than it had previously been. So yeah, sorry to sorry to start to cry on your podcast, Andrew, but that's the power, man. Like that's what this stuff can do when you can get to the audience like that got to me. I think then that that's it, it, theater has that power. And I'm sure you hear this sort of stuff all the time, but like it's it's not just this frivolous thing that we do with jazz hands. It's it is stuff, it is it is ideas, it is emotion, and it's it's vital to our success as a species. Yeah. That is incredible. What a memory. I mean, I'm just imagining it as you're in my head as you're telling it. And it sounds just God smacking. So I can only imagine being there and seeing that. So that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was amazing. Thank you for letting me share it. And I'm, I'm just, again, another one of those lucky moments. I, I just happened to have done Godot in college and loved the play and sought out any production of it I could find. And I saw they were doing it. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll go to the city. I'll take the train down. Like, oh, look at me being all, you know, cool guy going to see theater on the weekend. And <laughs> it, changed, it changed my life. It literally changed my life. So, yeah. That is the power um, of theater right there. Amen, my friend. Well, the last couple minutes we have, I just want to ask you two last questions. The first being, do you have any other projects or productions coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? I get like, what do I have? I'm uh, everything else is sound related. So I'm working with this brilliant musician. Their name is Jess McAvoy, and they're doing a show at the Tank in September called The Search. We did a version of it at the bitter end last year or earlier this year. I honestly can't remember. Time is a flat circle. And yeah, it's it's just a, a really interesting one person show with a lot of rock and roll elements. Jess is a performer and they're they're really, really cool as a rocker. So to then see them branch into theater is just it's a really cool concert slash theater experience. So I'm really happy to be working with them and, and director Rachel Dart on that, who's a friend and also a brilliant director. And I'm also very lucky to also be working with the Stella Adler Studio again. Their their Clerman Lab is doing a production of The Cherry Orchard directed by Tom Oppenheim. And I, I literally just came from recording a couple of musicians to have some original like klezmer style music in the show for our sound design, which was all Tom's idea and like 
thankfully we're able to find these two incredible musicians to come in and play for us and just you know it's I, I love working with professional musicians because they're always just like oh you know we haven't really had a chance to rehearse so like you know yeah hit record we'll, we'll, we'll do a little something and then they just like blow you away like you didn't rehearse you just ah oh, it's so amazing like yeah so that was that was really fun so those are the two things that I have on the horizon I have a lot of projects in my brain that I'm, I'm trying to take living radio as a, a bit of a an on-ramp into once again creating all the stuff that I want to create because I, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that the the pandemic kind of derailed a lot of my momentum <laughs> on other stuff and it's taken three years three and a half years but I'm finally getting back to like here's how I make my stuff here's what okay yeah those all those ideas they, they're not going away you, you, you got to do them so yeah There'll be more down the pike, but those are the two things that are coming up in September that I'm, I'm really excited about because, uh, again, I get to work with some really brilliant people. There's so much talent in this town. It's it's embarrassing. And yeah, it's lucky. To, I just feel so lucky that I get to, to work with so many great people. Amen to that. Well, finally, if our listeners want more information about Living Radio or about yourself, maybe they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? I'm on the internet at Robert Gagno. So it's R-O-B-E-R-T-G-O-N-Y-O.com. Kind of revamping the website. So it might look a little funky for a while, but all the information is there. And you can go to, again, I mentioned this earlier, but coptheatereast.org, and it's theater with an R-E, to find old living radio episodes. And I I, I mean, it's, I, it's not just an archived page. I might just throw up the podcasts on that page uh, as we keep going forward. But eventually uh, livingradionyc.com is also a real thing that I control and will eventually hold all the podcasts. But for now, it's just a parked domain. So livingradionyc on Instagram, follow all those locations and we'll make sure to link you to the plays after they're done. But most importantly, frigid.nyc, head there, check out anything happening in either under St. Mark's or the Crane while we still got the Crane. Frigid is just an indie theater stalwart that deserves your attention and support. And that's the place to get your tickets for Living Radio Monday, Labor Day, September 4th, 2023. And then the first Monday of every month, uh, at least through November, or excuse me, at least through December. <laughs> and I do just real quick want to give a shout out to your podcast, Go See a Show, which is fantastic. And I think you mentioned our listeners can find more information in the podcast itself at goseeashowpodcast.com. Is that right? That is exactly right. Thanks for plugging. I appreciate it. Yes, it's a wonderful show. And I hope our listeners will go over and check it out and follow and reach out to you with all the other things that you do and, and cover with that. Really appreciate you covering this, Andrew. And, and thanks for all you do. As a fellow podcaster, I know how hard it is to keep on a schedule, how hard it is to get these things together at all and to deal with very verbose guests like myself. So I really appreciate that you're taking the time that you, you do the work and you're spreading the word about theater, not just at my level, but also all the way up to the Broadway level. Because again, it's an ecosystem and we all should be paying attention to what everybody else is doing and supporting it all. So thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you so much, Robert, for those kind words. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and sharing this incredible show. I cannot wait to see it. You will find me at the, the Crane very soon to check out this show. So thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with us today. See you there, man. Thanks again.
My guest today has been the producer Robert A.K. Gagno, whose show Living Radio is returning to the Crane Theater on the first Monday of every month, starting on Labor Day, September 4th at 7 p.m. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting frigid.nyc. Robert is also the host of Go See a Show podcast, so make sure you check that out as well. And we've got some more contact information that we'll be listing on our episode description as well as on our social media post. But right now, you need to head over to frigid.nyc, get your tickets for Living Radio, Monday, September 4th, and then the first Monday of every month through December of this year. Check it out. It's a fabulous show. We will be attending and we're going to be letting you know when we'll be in attendance so that you can join us for a stage whisper night out at the theater. But check out Living Radio at the Crane Theater. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.